0: reading this afternoon is in the book of Acts chapter 7 verse 54 and we'll read into chapter 8 verse 8. Chapter 8 is is what follows following the martyrdom of Stephen and so we'll be reading the last few verses of chapter 7 which record this first Martyr of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 7 beginning in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God, And said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Amen. May God bless the reading of his own word. And let us sing now in response to the word. Dear congregation, the persecution that began with the arrest of Peter and John grew to the arrest of all the apostles. Then there was a brief moment of calm with the council of Gamaliel, but then it gained speed after the execution of Stephen. Stephen became the first martyr of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what followed can be said to be the first general persecution of the entire church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we read in verse 1 of chapter 8, And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the only place at that time where the church was in essence. So this was the first general persecution of the whole entire church of the Lord Jesus. No matter who you were, apostle or not, man or woman, now everyone was feeling the powers of persecution And we read how Saul in verse 3 made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. The word havoc means harm. It means ravaging. Um, One version has widespread destruction as the translation. However, in verse 8, The last verse of what we read, it says, And there was great joy in that city. As that city received um, a portion, at least, of the exiles of Jerusalem, what they brought to them brought joy to that city. So we do see this flow in our text from havoc to joy. From ravaging to rejoicing. And in this flow of circumstances, we we have these three things happening. And this will help us look through this passage that we have read. We see the sinfulness of the natural heart, and a very critical ingredient of the miserableness of the sinful, the unrepentant, the unbelieving heart. And then we will see the power of God over any heart. No matter how wicked a heart, God is the one who has power over every heart. And then thirdly, we will see the grace of God in converted hearts. The the miracles that we see in the text um, are apparent not only in the healing of people, Again, we have the, the signs and wonders and we have people who are delivered from, from unclean spirits and people with palsies and with lameness who could never hope of being healed. Those are wonderful miracles, but we will see the greatest miracles throughout this text. We, we ended last sermon looking at a miracle that was the greatest. We will look at that one again and see a list of others in our third point. So, first of all, the sinfulness of the natural heart. And this is, of course, looking at, at these persecutors of the church of Christ. There, there are these two groups. There, there are the persecutors and there are the believers. There, there are those who are yet unbelievers and, and they're not necessarily persecuting, but they, they are unbelievers still but let us look at the unbelievers who are persecuting and they reveal something very miserable about the natural heart. And, and this is how it would apply to you and to me. And this is, this is kind of how God's Word is like a mirror to us. It's not like we're looking at them and just pointing our fingers at, at Saul and, and at the Sadducees and at the Pharisees. That is meant to show to your heart and mine what the natural heart is. When God allows a heart to be ungraced, untouched as it were, by His favor, this is who we are. This is what we would be. It is only God's grace that keeps us from being a Saul. And it was God's grace that turned him into a Paul. And so, what is this great miserable reality? Remember the sermon of Stephen. That, that sermon points to the whole matter. There's this dynamic. The salvation that this people needs is the very salvation that this people rejects. They are angry at that which would give them life. They are despising that which their soul needs the most. And beloved, if we grasp this one reality, every soul that you would engage in evangelism—even the moment that that soul looks at you with a glaze or with disapproval—it would—it would tick. It would bring this prick to your heart to feel an utter pity because that person doesn't understand. But you have the remedy that he or she needs. He does not understand that, but you do. And you must be the one to, 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 to just shower that person with, with love and with affection because they are in their misery rejecting the bread that they so greatly need. It's, it's like the hungry person who forsakes food or the thirsty who turns away water. It is like the beggar who rejects, of all things, the money that he's there standing for. Or the sick person who sends away the doctor and the medicine. Remember the sermon. It begins with Joseph, whom the brothers rejected. And then it goes to Moses in Egypt, whom the Jews rejected. And then Moses in the wilderness, whom Israel rejected. And then at the end of the sermon, he says in verse 52 of chapter 7, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? In, in other words, God has been giving prophets after prophets to our fathers, and, and we've rejected basically all of them. And then what do they do to Stephen? They stone him. See, Stephen has in his very lips the salvation that they need, but they they. They, they stop the mouth of the one who declares their salvation. And, and, and what is the big message? Stephen was saying, Don't do to me, don't do to Jesus what our fathers did to Jake, Joseph. What our fathers did to Moses in Egypt and in the wilderness. What all our fathers did to the prophets. And you all have done it to Jesus. But in essence, he's saying, you can stop. You, you can now receive Jesus Yes, he died because we sent him there, but we can now see that he's our Savior. I'm here to tell you, but see, they reject Stephen too. And the dynamic completes in a way when we realize what is it that Joseph would provide to those very brothers who sold him as a slave? He would years later provide him food and a field, a home, And remember, speak kindly to their hearts. They rejected Moses, who was raised in a royal family. He could be a deliverer to them, but they rejected him. Then he's out in the wilderness leading them to to the promised land, but they're rejecting him there too. The prophets, we think of Isaiah. We don't know how he died, but one, one of the thoughts through tradition is that he's the one who would have been sawn asunder. But he's the one who spoke of of the virgin bearing a child and of the branch that would come and that his name would be Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. But his end does not seem to have been well received. Jeremiah, the the thought is after he's taken captive to to Egypt because they don't heed to his command to stay in Israel after Babylon takes all the people captive, they, they took him to Egypt and of what we understand they would have killed him, executed him there. And what did these men all have? They had the salvation and they were rejected. They rejected the salvation that they needed. And of course, the climax is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the promised Messiah, He was the promised Savior, and they nailed Him to the tree. And, and, and the irony, of course, is that that was even necessary so that he would be a savior. But now was time to receive him and not to continue rejecting him. And Stephen's there preaching the sermon. And what do they do? They kill him. And, and this is at the root. See, this is the miserable state of the heart of unbelief. Not that they are blind to salvation, but that they are against salvation. They fight against it. And that is their salvation. That is what would give them hope. They have sins. They need to be washed away. And and that's the message that if they were to heed and believe, their sins would be washed away. There, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And that is the Savior. And if they were to believe in Jesus, they would have heaven and not hell. But they reject Jesus, so they go to hell when they die. You see, beloved, this is is the misery of the heart that is in unbelief. The gospel that they so desperately need, they are rejecting. This is what our message is teaching us. And again, see, it's not just teaching who they are, that's who we are, beloved. And, And so if you're a Christian, it should only make you embrace Christ all the more and be so grateful that He did not leave you to yourself. And as we go to our second point and we see the power of God over any heart, see, this is the one thing that we'll see. It is not that they won and Stephen lost because they didn't hear his sermon and Jesus lost because he he died for sinners and these sinners are not repenting. No, that's not what happens. those who reject Jesus and who rejected Stephen and rejected the prophets and died in their sins, they're the ones who lost. Now we go to our second point, And of course, when I speak of the power of God over any heart, we see how God is the one who wins. Saul was fighting against God. He was fighting against Jesus. He will find this out in chapter 9 when he meets with Jesus. Some of the first words that Jesus will say is, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? We don't don't see Jesus here um, in the text. Um, We we, we do see Stephen looking at Jesus and he sees him in heaven. but, But the stones aren't flying in that direction. But later in chapter 10... I mean, chapter 9, Saul will understand that as those stones were, were going toward that man, Stephen, it was Jesus in heaven who was receiving, as it were, in his heart the persecution that was being driven to the church. And what did Jesus do? He won. Saul was fighting against Jesus, but Jesus won. Because Saul became Paul. So see, it's not that the Sadducees who never believed, they won. No, God simply left them to themselves and they lost. But someone like Saul becomes a trophy of God's grace. To show that God has power over any heart. The conversion of Paul becomes like a pinnacle in the word of God. To prove this. There is no heart that is too hard. There is no walk that is too wicked. There is no sin that is too great. Because we see this man Saul. It is not incidental that we read. That in the in the very stoning of Stephen. We see verse 58. That the, the, the witnesses were laying down their clothes. At the young man's feet. Whose name was Saul. He singled out. In chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting into his death. He was putting his seal of approval. He stood there as a leader. He was the instigator. Um, It was at his feet that the witnesses laid down their clothes. he was the one consenting into that death. if we go to verse three, we, we read him as the one who was making havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. If you go to chapter nine verse one, it says in Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest, and there he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues. He, he wants to go beyond even israel he 's finding out through some of his messengers and his spying system where, where these believers are running to and he's saying I'm going after every one of them. In Acts 22 4 we read the extent of this slaughter where Paul testifies he says and I persecuted this way unto the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Beloved can you imagine writing down scripture It would go not to just a few people in your neighborhood, but to the whole world. Here we are in Kenilon, New Jersey, 2023, and we're hearing Paul's confession that he killed people. Acts 22, 4. And then Acts twenty six ten We read, Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. When they took the votes, Paul always says, Yes, kill them. Yes, kill them. Yes, kill her. Verse 11 he says, And I punished them often in every synagogue and compel them to blaspheme. You know what that means? There were those that he says, don't kill him," because he blasphemed Jesus. You can imagine those poor, weak hearts. Maybe some were not true believers, but some may have been. But in their weakness they said, okay, I won't follow Jesus anymore, Saul. Please don't kill me. Okay, we'll let you live. But be careful. Don't go back to that church or we're going to get you, put you back in prison and you will die. Saul compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, this is Acts 26, 11, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Beloved, who was the last person you evangelized who had this kind of life? And I'm sure there are many that you have met that you wonder, this person will never be a believer. I can't see it. But you see what God is doing. He's using this man, Saul, to convince each and every one of us that he has power over any heart. Our first point was how wicked the unbelieving heart is. Our second point is it doesn't matter. God's power is greater than the wickedness of a wicked heart. And that's what our heart would be without the power of God in it. This is why we're worshiping God here today. Because God did not leave us to ourselves. He did not allow us to reject the salvation that we needed. But He opened our eyes to realize Jesus is whom I need. And I will praise Him. And I will serve Him. And this is why we're here. Or else we would be like like Saul forever. And so we are all ex-Sauls who have become Pauls, if you are a true believer here today. And if you aren't, God's Word is saying, look to Jesus, trust in Him, and you will be converted likewise. Because God's power is over every and any heart. But then, he hasn't converted yet and we will still get to this, but we, we have to speak of it because this is where we see him in, in all of his wickedness and, and it just brings to our minds the, the expectation, the, the glory and the joy of chapter 9 that is still to come. And we see this power of God, but, but we see also here conversions of some people. We don't know how many. It was probably in the hundreds or it could be even in the thousands. We don't know. But but in, in chapter um, 8, verse 4, we read that they went to the city of Samaria. That was the capital city of Samaria. The very city of Samaria. Verse 5 singles out Philip now. Remember, Stephen was, was a deacon that was elected Philip is the second one in the list. The idea that you have here, Spurgeon puts this in a quote, I'm going to be reading it soon, um, that Stephen was killed. He he dropped out of the military life of the believer. So God conscripts Philip, the second one in that list. And Philip goes to Samaria, in verse 5 it says, that he preached Christ unto them. Verse 6 says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things. And then we read in verse 8 where there was great joy in that city. And and why? Well, verse 6 and 7 speaks of the healings and speaks of the deliverances. So we know why. It's the joy of seeing all of that. But also, verse 12, that's really saying the greatest reason why the joy. But when they believed, Philip Preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. That's the conversion of the Samaritans. And this is showing the power of God over any heart. This this is a very historical moment um, in in the history of of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. not, Not only because of the first martyr and now the first general persecution... But this is the moment where God is moving in the direction of Jesus being a light to the Gentiles. And before the Gentiles, there were really a middle people between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jews. In their way of thinking, they were kind of like the Gentiles. They didn't see them as Jews. But they were half Jews. So they, they, they had a, a kinship to them. And that's where God sends them now. And it's even fulfilling what, what Jesus had told them that they were to be in Samaria, in Jerusalem, and then Judah, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth in Acts 1, verse 8. And so they are. They are going to Samaria. And as they are there, really the unthinkable happens. If Judaism, as it was being practiced, continued being practiced, never this would have happened of Jews and Samaritans becoming one. And if Samaritans had had kept following their religious system, never would it happen where Samaritans and Jews would become one. It just would never happen. The Jews, it was because their system was not being practiced the right way. The Samaritan is because their system was completely the false way. But the message of Christ comes... And that middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles is broken. And the Jews minister to the Samaritans. They believe in Jesus. They receive the same sign of baptism. And we're still going to see where they receive the Holy Spirit in a visible way when Peter goes there and ministers to them. That's what follows from here. So we find that Jews and Samaritans are one. That was unthinkable. Just as it was that Jews and Gentiles could be one. But God is getting in that direction. And it begins with the Samaritans. Who were a little closer to the Jews. But they still had such an animosity. But God is breaking that down. So that's our second point. The power of God over any heart. In the conversion of Saul and then in the conversion of many Samaritans. But now let's go to our third point, the grace of God in converted hearts. As, as we look at those who are converted, we see grace in so many directions, in, in so many of them. We, we see grace, of course, in Stephen... Um, praying for his executors. We, we ended here last time, but I'm going to start here because it's, it's worth meditating again And just a couple words here. Each one of these examples that I will give you of grace really is, they really are the greatest miracles in the text. We, we need to be careful not to be those who visualize things and think that what you see is more important in terms of what you can touch. But the heart of these examples that I will give you will show these are bigger miracles than the people being healed, those palsies and those lame uh, situations being dealt with, people possessed with devils and being delivered. Those are miracles. But this list that I will give you, this is a greater miracle. Remember, we, we mentioned this. Stephen... You you have to really appreciate this, beloved. Think of yourself in a corner. There's nowhere to run. And people are throwing stones. you're, You're contemplating the reality. This is my execution. These people hate me. There are no applauses after my sermon. There are stones. What will I do? And he commends his soul. And He prays for theirs. That is a miracle of grace. What all of these have in common, beloved, is this. It is the grace of God. And beloved, I truly believe this, that if you and I are to live in this world, and if we are to ask God, give me the grace, and then someone hates you, and you love Him back, and they persecute you, and you pray for him, and they curse you, and you bless. That miracle will be owned of God to the salvation of souls. Those are the miracles we still have. Remember, we, we don't have the miracle where one of us has the power to put someone's ha- your hand on someone and say, Lord, please heal this person. God still does that miracle. But it's not that one of us specifically has that gift. But the miracle that God still gives to His own is the miracle of grace. Where you may love your enemy like Stephen did. And it will be powerful. The second example we have here, if we go to chapter um, 8, it says in verse um, 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And made great lamentation over him. You know you read that and you just think well it's wonderful they did that. They showed honor to Stephen. But you you need to see that, that. That's another miracle. Well they're devout men. You know the word devout means that they feared God. And this means that they did not fear men. Because humanly speaking, you would think they would. Because look what's happening. Saul is making havoc of the church. He's entering into every house inhaling men and women. Committed them to prison. Who? People who are associated with this way. And people who are associated with Stephen, whom they just executed. So these devout men, when they go there to render this honor to Stephen, they are exposing who they are. And these are brave men who are ready to die themselves. But they will not allow their brother's body to stay there to the elements. They will bury their brother. They will show honor to the temple, the the tent that God gave to their beloved Stephen. That's why they're called devout men. They feared God and they did not fear men. They could have been killed on the spot. They could have been arrested right away. Now, this shows your identity. And we've, become, we've begun a, a general persecution. You're it. But they did it. It's God's grace. Thirdly, we read that the apostles remained in Jerusalem. The church scattered, but the apostles remained. One idea is that there were so many Christians who could not scatter. They were maybe so poor they had nowhere to go. Hiding probably was easier for them. If all the apostles had scattered, the centrality of the church would have suffered somewhat. Or possibly it's simply that God told them, stay. And they stayed. And they stayed in the place of greatest danger. And see, and they were the ones that would have been the greatest aim. Those who were most wanted stayed in the most dangerous place. And, and, it, and what we understand through this is again it just follows this reality this, this is grace it is a miracle it is hearts that used to be so scared remember um, it, it took just one lady asking Dave, Daniel Peter, excuse me who he was if he was associated with Jesus and he denied it three times with curses and swearing but now Peter stays in the most dangerous place and he's in the most wanted list It's God's grace. We see grace in those devout men. We see grace in Stephen. We see grace in the apostles. And fourthly and and lastly, we see grace in these who dispersed and spread the word of God. Now stop to understand what's happening here. Um, We read in verse 3 that Saul was making havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women. So that's why they're scattering abroad throughout the region of Judea. And as they arrive in this city of Samaria, they necessarily start explaining why they're there. People are converted and there's great joy. Now this this is the dynamic of what's happening. That havoc led to joy. But think of the people who are in the process of that, of that ravaging of the church. Think of their sorrow. Put yourself in their position. Think, beloved, if, if, if it came to, to this North Jersey area, persecution of like um, um, quantities and, and intensity. And we, we have to scatter and we have to pick up whatever things we can and go in whatever way we can and arrive in places of hiding. Were you going to be thinking of a missionary movement beginning, of an evangelistic endeavor? But this is what happened. This is a miracle, it is a revival. Think, think, of, think of the sorrow of these people. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their family. Maybe some of them already don't have families because they were executed or put into, into prison. They're the relatives of Stephen who are mourning his death. They're close friends to Stephen. Stephen. And now they're in exile. They're not just in a fun kind of travel. This is not vacation. They are running away and they instantly become evangelists bearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They understood something of what we saw this morning, that we are not our own. We belong to God. They who belong to God are being dispersed, and they're thinking in that exile, I still belong to God. I will tell others about my Maker and about my Savior. They're, they're running away, but they're telling people about Jesus. And and there's what we could say, of course, a a reality that it was even by necessity. Because you can imagine a city like Samaria, all of a sudden there's these families arriving and, and of course the talk of the town is, who are these Jews? Why are they coming? Why are they scared? Why are they afraid? Why do they have a few things? Not too many, but a lot. As much as it seems like they can carry, it seems like they're fleeing. What's going on? Tell me, is there something ill happening in Jerusalem? And beloved... Every answer to those questions was the gospel. Stop to think. Any of those Jews being stopped on the way, they would have to say it's because of Jesus. We believe in Christ whom they crucified. Now they're after us. Well, why do they crucify that Jesus? Some of those Samaritans maybe would have heard about Jesus because Jesus went through all those places. There was a groundwork already about Christ's ministry. And, and, and along with them telling about Jesus, Philip comes and through him there are these miracles. And so everybody's hearing about Jesus. They're they're all hearing about the one who died on the cross for sinners and that He resurrected the third day. That even though He died, the the story is not sad. The story is glorious because He arose from the grave. And the man that we last heard that died said that he even saw Him from the heavens beside God. And this is the message we bear. And then, oh, by the way, you are sick. Philip, here, come help him. And he he would stand up. And there's someone with a devil and he would be delivered. Those miracles were were just going right alongside the message that was in the heart of these people. These were people sharing the gospel with tears. And I left some of my loved ones back in Jerusalem because they, they just couldn't come. They, they, they've got disabilities and they're, they're hiding somewhere. I don't know if I'll ever see my aunt or my uncle. And sharing the gospel with tears, feeling in their hearts the death of loved ones, the imprisonment of loved ones, the possible death of some loved ones, the possible death of their own lives. but what are they doing? They're sharing the gospel. And beloved, when has the word when has the church received the word that we are to stop? The earnestness with which these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. If you say you're a Christian. These are our spiritual kin. When did we last hear that we could stop doing it? Because I confess in my own heart beloved. I don't have this earnestness we are not going to all people that we know and sharing the gospel of Christ because that's the bread that they need for life and if they don't heed if they don't believe there will be death forever who told the church to stop and and you see the irony here these are people going in the sorrow of their souls But because they share Jesus, they bring joy to the hearts of that city. And I don't doubt that that joy brought joy to them as well. This is not just the joy of the unbelievers who are now believers. It must be the joy of believers who are seeing, well, even though we're exiled, God is using us as missionaries. And it brought joy for everyone. Verse 8, And there was great joy in that city. Isn't this precious, beloved? Beloved. And doesn't this motivate you and me to to have this earnest in our hearts and find ways, Lord, how can I continue this? I don't want to be disconnected with this history of the church. I want to have this in my heart and in my bosom. Would not the church be blessed, beloved? Would not our neighbors be blessed? Wouldn't there be people blessed because they're saved? If you and I were to think of every effort that we could be involved in one way or another to be vocal with our friends about the gospel of Christ to our family, that we would literally mark out days to go out distributing tracts, inviting a friend or another. Listen, I'm going to go to this park. You want to go with me? Inviting neighbors to your home for coffee, for dessert, or for maybe dinner. And, and, and here, we're going to have Bible worship. Would you mind staying with us and singing some hymns? Invite them to church. Beloved, don't, don't wait for us to have an evangelistic message. But just think of every church service as an opportunity that you can invite a neighbor and see if he or she will come. Every, every service is open to whoever would want to come. And we have a sign saying we're a church, but we also have hearts saying we're a church, and we can invite our neighbors. Getting involved in some ministry. You know, there's some that we put before you. We, we think of New York Gospel Ministry. We we have in our church the ESL ministry. We're, we're meeting people who are hearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be not just praying in earnest, but also meeting these people who need the gospel. Visiting nursing homes, visiting prison. There are numerous ways for ministering the Word of God. Mailing sermons. We still have it in an official way but still not working right now. The Bible billboard ministry. Think of what that means where you put a verse out where cars go by and you're sleeping but people might be reading a verse that could lead to the conversion of their soul because it's the Word of God and the Word has power. The power does not reside in us. It's in the Word. And we can put verses in ministries through through the internet in so many ways. Think of how you have gifts and use them for the sowing of the seed of the gospel. And beloved, would we need to be scattered for that to happen? Think of the joy that here we can do this still from the comfort of our home. God is being gracious to the church year after year after year. And we go back and study the history of the church, which is our history, and we find how our dear brothers and sisters were were instant evangelists in a time of sorrow. Doesn't that call you and me to become an instant evangelist before the time of sorrow returns? Now listen to Spurgeon's plea to his congregation when he wants to encourage them to to become evangelists. He said, Stephen the deacon began first to bear testimony and when he died, Philip the next on the roll. That's where I mentioned that Spurgeon related that thought. Stephen and then Philip stepped into his place. One soldier falls and another steps forward. All are to proclaim the word and no one is exempted by another form of service. Oh, that the Lord's people everywhere would note this. There is nothing whatsoever in the whole compass of Scripture to excuse any mouth from speaking for Jesus when the heart is really acquainted with His salvation. We are not all called to preach in the new sense of the term, but we are all called to make Jesus known if we know Him. And then he says this, referring to his own time. And you'll see why this is so important for our time. He says, You know what the times are now? I am no prophet, but as we read week by week the appalling crimes that are chronicled by the press, if every Christian man should be in earnest, they should be in earnest now all the signs of the times arouse us to look for the coming of our Lord. No token tends to quiet us but all to awaken us. We must work at double quick rate. And if anyone among us has done nothing at all, it is time for him as, good, as a good servant to gird up his loins to work and to watch. For in such an hour as he thinks not, the Son of Man comes. And he preached this sermon in 1888. And he complained about the appalling crimes of his day, what would he have written about today, 135 years later? Aren't we to be more in urgency? Aren't we more urgently to rise to the task, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our friends, but not just pray, evangelize sow the seed of the gospel and what is the gospel? it is Christ it is the blessed message that he who knew no sin became sin for us that he lived his perfect life you can tell some of the miracles you can say how he looked at people and blessed them even little children and people with leprosy, he would heal. But then they killed him because he was not the Messiah that they were expecting. They wanted someone with power and with riches, with political prowess. Think of how the message of Jesus resounds even in our culture that is so tired of politics. And you can say Jesus was not a politician. But He was King of kings and Lord of lords. And for that, Rome devised His end. And He is God and Lord of all. So the religious system Of the day devised his end. But even as he died, he prayed for those who persecuted him. And even though he died, he arose from the grave, which proved that he is God. The mass majority does not understand why Jesus died on the cross that he died to be a sin offering even that he had to die on the cross it wasn't a mistake no one's to feel sorry that he died in the sense that he lost he won that was the front battle he had to go even beyond the cross he had to go to the grave share beloved the gospel in the most simple form and let us make this known let us tell the old old story as the hymn says of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory of Jesus and his love let us tell the story simply as to a little child let us tell the story slowly that others may take it in that wonderful redemption God's remedy for sin Let us tell the story often. Let us tell the story softly. Let us tell the story always. Let us tell the same old story. And when the Lord's bright glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes thee whole. Amen. Let us pray our gracious, glorious God. We thank Thee, Lord, that we stand in days where we need not scatter. There are countries in which they must. There are countries in which believers are in hiding. And Lord, we lift them up before Thee. Certainly, they would be so encouraged by passages like these. And they find themselves... As the church of those old days, bless them and strengthen them and fill their hearts, Lord, with the joy of the Lord. But Lord, help us to not take for granted the days of mercy that we have. We can live in our homes, we can use our cars, we can go to our jobs, we can say hello to our neighbors. Lord, even lives that may not be so stable are are so stable compared to a life like this where you were in Jerusalem, the next you had to be in Samaria with whatever you could carry, but you're an evangelist still. Oh, Lord, help us to be thankful for our freedoms, but not take for granted that we have them. Lord, we plead with Thee that Thou would make us to be instantaneous evangelists that we would not wait for a persecution to tell about Jesus wherever we flee but that we would tell about Jesus to all round about us that we would find ways to be loving and kind that we would show forth these miracles that people would then listen to thee as we love those who hate us As we forgive those who sin against us. Lord we pray bless thy church. Our own congregation and the church universal. To be a a church that sows the seed of the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.